exciting debut of season two of the Backyard Banter podcast. You know, I got into such a flow of saying, you know, episode whatever. I don't know whether to call this episode one, season two, or episode 44 overall. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play around with it and we'll see how I feel. But anyways, season two of the Backyard Banter podcast. Welcome back to everybody that is joining us. And today we've got a great guest. We've got Jason Romano. Uh, from ESPN, or is it formerly ESPN now? Can we officially say that? Oh yeah, it's formerly of ESPN. Weird to say, but true. Yeah, it's always it's always crazy when you make the move to the to the next spot. We'll we'll definitely be talking uh, to you about that move today. But Jason, for for those who are listening um, that that don't know you or aren't familiar with you, can you kind of give us you know a brief uh, brief resume sort of of what your what your role was at ESPN? Yeah, so I started my career there in July of 2000, and I started out as a radio producer. That was my goal when I went to college was to be in radio, and uh, go to. I went to college for radio. That's what my dream was. So I ended up at ESPN working on the radio side, and my very first job there was the booker, uh, guest booker for Mike and Mike, and Mike and Mike had just started probably six months earlier. Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick. So the show was sort of in its its infancy stage it had just got rolling and it had a staff of three people and uh, it was great. Loved it. And, uh, you know, we worked hard and we put on a decent product at the time. It was only on radio. Couldn't watch it. Couldn't see it anywhere. Just listen to it. And that was where I got my start. I did radio for three plus years at ESPN. So I, I went from Mike and Mike and produced my own radio show at night. It was called Game Night. Not an original title, but it was called Game Night and uh, hosted by a guy named Chuck Wilson and another guy named Chris Moore. And we had a blast. Got to do my own show where Mike and Mike, I was sort of a contributor. The Game Night show, I was the one in charge of it. So I had a blast with that show. Did it for two plus years. And then at the end of 2003, I got an opportunity to go to the television side and become a talent producer. And basically what that is, in essence, is a guest booker. But it allowed me to broaden my horizons in the TV side, learn how TV worked, and not only do that, but also to network, to build uh, a fairly large Rolodex, to meet a lot of people, and to, I don't know, just learn how to network in this business, which is not easy to do. Uh, and it does take a special skill, I think. So it took me a while to kind of master that. And I worked as a talent producer for almost nine years, had a great time. Uh, we worked and booked so many guests, both coming to Bristol and uh, for so many different shows. You name a show on ESPN, I probably booked a guest for it at some point. So that was great. Nine years of doing that. I also line produced uh, for a couple years on the show Outside the Lines. So working with a legend like Bob Lee and line producing that show and being sort of in charge of that show from a TV perspective was a great experience. And I did that for a few years, probably did about 50 plus shows and enjoyed that. And then in 2012, I got an opportunity to move into a new realm of social media that had just gotten its world started sort of at ESPN. And they asked me to start up the NFL social media at ESPN. So I started it from the ground up and uh, worked its way up to over a million followers on Twitter and 3 million on Facebook and about 500,000 or so on Instagram over a three to four season period. And that was a whole new world for me. I knew social media, but it was really trial and error for the first couple of years and just building a platform. And uh, that was pretty much it. The last year of my career, which I just finished a couple of weeks ago at the uh, early part of February, was to be the director of social media for Mike and Mike's morning show. So it was kind of full circle, starting on Mike and Mike and then ending my career at ESPN on Mike and Mike. And I had a blast that last year working with them and sort of you know building their social media back up and and keeping that in a good place and just had so much fun working with them. And it was a blast all the way to the end. So it, it's fascinating because essentially you are the person that makes everything go kind of behind the scenes. You know, you're, you're putting a lot of moving parts together because sure, there's found... always a team, you know, I don't want to take any credit for it. There's always a team of people, but yes, in essence, you know, we sure. all, we're the, we're the ones that keep the engine running. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, and definitely. And since getting into, you know, doing, stuff with the network NFL network and you know nfl.com and all that it's yeah. been crazy for me to see just how much of a process it is to put these things together to put a show together you know i feel like as a viewer you're just sitting there and you're like 
oh yeah, it's just a bunch of people sitting around a camera, you know, talking about football, but it is not, it is not that way. I could tell you stories from the time I was a talent booker. I used to talent book. The very first, the very first show I was a booker on was Outside the Lines. This was 2003, 2004. And that show had just moved from a weekly show to a daily show. So every single day that show was on the air, Monday through Friday, for a half hour. And they needed guests. You can only run long-form features and have Bob Lee talk for a few minutes by himself. You need to fill the show with discussion. And so that's why I was hired, to book for that show. And we had moments where you know, the show aired at, in the beginning, it aired at like midnight. So my hours were probably 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I would try to have the show booked. And we would tape the show around 5 or 6 o'clock. And so I would book guests. And, and there were moments, I got to tell you, Matt, there were moments where I booked a guest. He canceled. I booked another guest. He or she canceled. I booked another guest. He or she canceled. We had like three or four cancellations. And we had to scramble in like a half hour to get a guest to go on show. Mm. And people don't see that. They just see the half hour that's on television. But the behind the scenes, not just for my job either, but there are moments where, you know, a a piece that's been edited just literally finishes up 20 minutes before the show is supposed to go on air. And it's just crazy. People work their tails off behind the scenes to make sure that 30 minutes is the best 30 minutes uh, programming that is possible. And so that's the part, and you just mentioned it, I'm sure NFL Network and and any of our big sports networks are the same way is just that's how it is it's the behind the scenes people that keep this thing flowing and and they work their tails off with little to no appreciation to make sure this product on air uh is the best it can be yeah you really gotta love uh what you what you do to be uh especially a behind the scenes person you know because there's there there's not as much quote unquote you know glory or FaceTime or whatever to that but you really gotta love doing it um and so so speaking of of loving doing it uh it's a smooth transition there i'm I'm not rusty from my uh from my season that was professional (laughs) that was awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's always professional when you can talk about your professionalism in the podcast exactly as it's happening but speaking of loving what you do so obviously you you love sports you're into all that kind of take us back to the beginning of uh of your journey there in this career and like what made you so interested in sports as a career well i mean when i was a kid you know i was a sports junkie you know we had our own little before fantasy football was around, we had our little rotisserie baseball. We called it rotisserie baseball. Um, rotisserie baseball leagues with me and my four buddies back in the late 80s. And we had notebooks and mock drafts and everything that you would see that's commonplace in the fantasy world today. We were doing that as kids and people looked at us like we were crazy. Um, but that kind of tells you the type of sports fan I was. I was just, I loved it. And I watched it probably a lot more than I played it. And I played a lot of sports too. I played baseball, I played basketball. Love playing basketball. Um, so I, I was active, but I was okay. I wasn't very good. I was okay as, a, as an athlete, but I loved to watch sports. I kept stats of, I mean, I'm a huge Boston Celtics fan. I remember having a notebook with a pen and watching Larry Bird play and literally keeping score of the game like I was at the game in my notebook. So I just kind of give you an idea of the sort of sports junkie that I was. And then when I got to high school and you realize, oh, wait a minute sports broadcasting like people can actually go and do this as a job uh and it's you know seems like the best of both worlds for me now espm was not even on the landscape for me at that point it was so far out of reach i just never thought i would get to that point in my career so my dream was like okay maybe i'll host a radio show someday you know locally in the town i grew up in outside of albany new york seems attainable right maybe i'll work at a local affiliate and maybe do some producing behind the scenes, something like that. And I just, I don't know. That was kind of where my head was at. And then I went to college uh, and legitimately studied sports broadcasting. Like that's what I went to school for. And I wish now when I look back at it, when I talk to young people, I say, broaden your horizons a little bit, like really take an English class and learn how to write, you know, don't just take sports broadcasting. Like there's a lot of layers to how, you can be successful in this business. But that's what I wanted to do. So I got involved in the radio station. I got involved in the television station in college. You know, all my classes that were electives were sports broadcasting electives. I didn't want to study 
geology or history or anything like that. Like I just wanted to stay within my realm of what I wanted to do when I was done with college. So that's kind of where I got my start and where I got my idea of trying to go into this business was in college. Yeah. So there, you hit on a couple of interesting points there and especially, um, you know, we, this was a big part of the, uh, the discussion in season one, you know, some people went to journalism school or broadcasting school. Some people yeah. didn't. I know I personally, uh, come from a social theory background and okay. while I think, yeah, while I think that that helps me a lot in my, in my perspective, others definitely appreciate that kind of traditional, uh, approach. So, you know, I know, I know you talked about giving advice to young people and that's kind yes. of what the, the show is about. If you were, if you were to talk to, you know, an 18 year old kid or whatever, that's about to make their decision on what they want to major in, but they also, right. um, they also know they want to work in sports media. What would you tell, what would you tell them to do? Would you tell them to kind of go for that more traditional background or, or approach something well, different? I don't think you need to go to Syracuse or Northwestern to be successful in this business. And I think there's sort of a stigma that people think you have to go to a specific journalism school in order to get a a type of job or be successful in this business. It helps if you can afford it or if you can get a scholarship there and you can get accepted into the specific programs that they offer, the Newhouse School at Syracuse or the McGill program at Northwestern. Like, great, go for it, do that. Because the resources that they have are tremendous. But it's okay if you don't. Like I went to a community college my first two years in upstate New York that had a great broadcasting program. And I enjoyed the heck out of that time there. Like we lived on our own off-campus apartment. I, I was like, I, I had a radio show one month into my freshman year of college. Like it was just hands-on. It was great. Now this is 20 plus years ago. It was a long time ago. But I would tell students, it's okay if you don't get into the big schools that's not what it's about in this business, I don't think. I think the biggest thing you want to do, besides like what I just mentioned, like broadening your horizons a little bit from just being so focused on you know, wanting a job in this specific area. Like for me, it was I wanted to be on air doing sports. Like that was my one thing. And I didn't allow myself to sort of enjoy the, the, the depths of what broadcasting is and even like the other areas of how you can help yourself in that business. So what I would say to young people is, besides broadening your horizon, intern and network. Like those are the two biggest things. And I wish when I was in college that something like LinkedIn or something like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram existed because you have a one-way direct access ticket to the people that are doing the job that you want to do someday. And there's no excuse for networking with them and meeting them and reaching out to them. Now, not everybody's going to answer. Not everybody's going to respond. But the majority will if you if you just tell them you're interested in talking to them. I actually talked to somebody earlier today who was asking me for some career advice. And I said, don't ask for a job. And she mm-hmm. said, are you sure? And I said, I'm absolutely sure. Do not ask for a job. Just network with people and ask them for their time. Their time is is valuable to, to them. Certainly, the, a job is valuable too, but they most people are not in a position to hire. And most right. people, when I'm reaching out to someone about a job, they're immediately thinking, what can that, can that person do for me? And then if you can't hire me, I just don't want to talk to you anymore. And that's not the way to go. You want to reach out to the person, build a relationship, network with them, and just be a sponge. And do it for free for a while. Yes, I know you have to get paid and live and, you know, pay your bills and all that. I get that. But for me, when I got out of college, I worked at some marketing firm that had nothing to do with anything I ever wanted to do with my career. And I also worked at a hospital part-time just so I could pay the bills. But I had one day free to do whatever I wanted. And I went to a radio station, spent eight hours there for three months during that time and did it for free and just soaked in what I could learn in one day. Eight hours is a long time. And that's how I got my start in this business, by just that Thursday afternoon for eight hours going in and learning from professionals about how the business is run. So my, I know that's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but that big piece of advice is definitely network and intern. Network and intern. Don't ask for a job. Just ask for knowledge and a job will come. 
that's a lot of what you said there is, and do, do, do not apologize for long-winded answers. That's what this show We're is all podcast, about. Right? I guess we can talk as long as we want. So absolutely, we don't have to cut to you know a cheesy commercial in a few minutes. So don't worry about that. Hopefully, eventually we have a commercial that is sponsoring I, this I was, podcast, and then you can. Do I, that, I was right? going to say, yeah, that's very true. Unless you are an advertiser that's listening, of course, please reach all out right. to me, uh, email me, and, and we'll put your commercial in here. Believe me, that, absolutely. That is, Come no, on, Mailchimp. No, Where are you, Mailchimp? Come on. Seriously. Excellent, <laughs> excellent point there. Um, but you hit on a lot of really crucial stuff there, especially, you know, I mean, with the power of social media, I can never, you know, say enough about it. I mean, every job I've had in sports media now, you know, whether it's freelance or my gig at NFL Network now or, you know, other avenues that I'm at, that all comes from meeting people on Twitter. You know, it's so incredible. True. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I've sort of built up this little mini platform that I've built up for myself was through Twitter. And it's just a fantastic way to network, meet people. I mean, I, I can't tell you the amount of people I've never met in person, but I would consider a friend or a connection because of Twitter. So, Very and I'm true. not saying Twitter, if Instagram's your place, that's fine too. If Facebook's your place, even for some level of Snapchat, that's fine too. Like, but use these platforms not to just share silly things and to post funny quotes or like use it to network, use it to, to help you build your Rolodex, and if, if you will. If we had that around when I first started booking at ESPN, my goodness, we would have been able to get so many more guests. It, it, um, it, would, it makes the world much easier. Oh and, and use multiple platforms, too. I mean, yeah. that is something that is something I'm, I'm trying to do. I mean, I feel like I've got, I've got Twitter down, and my, my boss actually sat me down and, and talked to me about this later in the season, which is crazy that my boss talks to me about my social media use, you know, and yeah. that's like a thing. That's like a, a goal I need to have. He's like, you're great. You're great on Twitter. You got a good audience on Twitter. You need to start building up in other places. So yeah. that's an important thing too, for people that are trying to get started. But also the point you made about, um, not asking for a job is, is crucial because for one on, on my end, when people reach out to me about that, I have literally zero, uh, ability to hire you anywhere. Most, most like you know, the face people, the people that are out there, writers or on the network or, or in podcasting, rarely have any hiring power, but we have a lot to offer otherwise. And, and also it's, it's good to, it's when somebody reaches out to you for advice, it's, it's almost good when you can feel that they don't have an agenda other than just to, just to, just to hear some advice. So I think that's a crucial point. Uh, so true. And I always tell the young people when they college kids or whatever, people that are right out of high out of college, when they reach out to me, I tell them, listen, I can't hire you. I have no hiring power. And if you still want to talk to me, I'll give you all the wisdom I can give you in 15, 20 minutes. And I think it's important for the the person reaching out to respect the person's time. Like I'm in charge here in terms of my time. So I can give you 15 minutes and you can ask me anything you want and we can get to whatever you want to go. And I think that's important to set some ground rules there. But at the same time, uh, being available and you can tell pretty quickly, Matt, when somebody reaches out and you give them advice and then you never hear from them again. And you yeah. know, okay, they were looking for a job. And that's fine. I respect that. You want a job? We all want jobs, right? But if you're in a, in a just getting started mode of life coming out of college, and that's what you're just looking for is a job, like you're missing out. You may get lucky and get that job at ESPN right out of college, but it's like hitting a lottery. It's just not common. Yeah, it, it is. That is definitely true. The odds are, are not in your favor, but yeah. there's, you know, there is a there's a lot to learn uh, just from talking to people. And, you know, that's what this podcast is, is all about is, yeah. is giving that uh, advice. So kind of back to your story a little bit there, uh, Jason. So how did you eventually find your way to ESPN? How did you hit that lottery, so to speak? It's a great question. I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm one of the rare breeds that ended up at ESPN that knew nobody at ESPN when I got that job. And now, nowadays, it really is about somebody you know. For the most part, even just to get through the interviewing process, and I've interviewed and hired people at ESPN, so I know this, you really have to know somebody somehow that's going to say, hey, check this guy out, look at this guy, look at this girl, talk to them. There's got to be a, a connection. For me, there wasn't that. The only thing I did that probably helped my cause was I applied twice for the same job and interviewed twice. So the second time when I was interviewing, I knew the people that I had interviewed before with, the same people. So that helped probably. But that first time, they just called out of the blue and they said, come and interview. So in 1998, there was a producer job open at ESPN uh, for radio. And I was literally seven months out of college and needed five years experience. So I knew that I wasn't going to get this job. But I applied anyway, and they called me. And they said, come out to Bristol, Connecticut. We'd love to meet you. 
And I thought I had made it in life at 24 years old just by getting a call to go to Bristol to sit down and talk to somebody about a job. If I never got a job, that would have been the coolest thing ever to happen to me at that point. And I went out and I interviewed and I knew right away that they weren't going to hire me full time. But we built a relationship and, you know, I met with three different people and I had their names down. And so I knew at least I had a connection there. And two years later, and I probably didn't do this the right way, but two years later, the same job opened up and I applied for it through the website that you can apply for jobs. I didn't call them. I didn't say, hey, I applied for this job. I didn't give them a heads up that I was applying again. I just applied. And I had, I probably, I had just gotten married and I was probably not looking to make a move. So I kind of just did this on a whim thinking, eh, if they call, great. If they don't, I'm fine. I'm comfortable where I am. And they called. And I remember telling my wife, this was in April of 2000, I said, Dawn, in two months, we're going to be moving to Bristol, Connecticut. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, no, we're going to be moving. She's like, you don't even, you just applied for a job. You didn't get the job yet. I said, I know, but uh, you better be prepared because if I do get this job, we're going to have to move to Connecticut. And she just kind of kept shaking her head. And I said that kind of jokingly. I really didn't think I was going to get the job. But I applied for the job. They called. I went out there and I went out. I did a second set round of interviews over the phone. And a guy named Keith Gorowski, uh was the senior manager, I guess, of, of uh, ESPN Radio at the time. And he's the guy that I knew was sort of doing the hiring. And he called me and he offered me the job. Now, it's funny because there's a long, longer version to this story that I could tell. But the, the short version is they had one job and they had two people that they wanted to hire. And the other person was a guy named Paul Pabst, who pretty well is pretty well known in the broadcast circles. Paul is now, Paulie is the producer of Dan Patrick's radio show. So you probably heard of Paulie, and, and he's one of the Danettes on Dan Patrick's show. Well, Paul Pabst and I both applied for this radio producer job, and they liked us both enough that they create a second job to hire us both. So Paul and I started the same day, July 18th of 2000, and that is unheard of at ESPN now. If there's one job, they open it up and you hire for it and that's it. They don't create two jobs to bring people in, especially on the producer level and radio because uh, headcount and openings are, are really they're the golden ticket and they don't just create second jobs for that. So you, and you, you're in the business, you know that. So the fact that they did that really felt like I hit the lottery and the fact that they did that for me and for Paul but gave us both our, our really good um, – you know, start to our careers, if you will. And, and that's how we got that is. That's how I got the ESPN. It's crazy. That's, that's wild. And yeah, believe me, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to tell me about head counts and all that sort of, uh, oh, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And that's another thing people, uh, people probably on the outside certainly don't know about <laughs> the, the nitty gritty of, uh, of let me give you, let me give you quick and, numbers, Matt. So for the internship program at ESPN last year, when I was hiring our interns in our social group, for the overall internship program at ESPN, we had 10,000 applicants for interns, intern jobs, and they're paid jobs. We hired 70 people. We had 70 interns. So if you are an intern at ESPN, you, in essence, hit the lottery. You did. 10,000 applicants and 70 people. So 9,030 people got turned away or whatever the number is, 9,930. Um I should have taken math classes in college in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> but that's a lot of people that don't that have applied and, and some of them don't even get a call. It's just it's unfortunate, but that's how a big business like ESPN, I'm sure the NFL is the same way. It's just kind of how it works. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, 70 interns sounds like an awful lot until you consider the people that have been yeah. turned away from that job. There's 7,000 that. people that work at ESPN. There's 10,000 applicants for internships and there's 70 interns. I mean, you can kind of see where we're going here. Yeah, I don't even want to think about all, all the all the people that applied to get my job and then got beat out got beat out by a poor <laughs> schlum like me. I, you know what? And that's kind of how I mean that's how it is, though. You know, I mean, it's just there's a lot of luck to go. And I'm not a big believer in luck. I believe in fate and all those other things. And my faith is important to me. But there is a lot of like things that just have to come together for you to get that position. There really is. Yeah, I, I think, and this is kind of more of a, a grandeur topic, but uh, I, I think of things as like these crazy little incidents that all have to go the right way for, for things to happen, but they were all meant to go that way. You know, so it's, true. It's, 
it's oh crazy, God. but that's that's how that's what I believe at least, and I can I can like trace back the little stories of my timeline, and I think anybody that has a job like this that is so so fortunate to have it uh, feels that way. Um, yeah, so- I mean, when I applied for that job at ESPN in two thousand, I just did it on a whim. I was completely fine with my life. If I never applied for that job, who knows where I would have ended up in my career? But you just take those chances. Yeah, same, same. I I can feel the same way. I remember. Uh, I remember. T- I just told was told told somebody this story recently. Uh, that you know when I when I applied for the job at NFL Network, I just threw my resume in a in a you know digital ton pile right uh and and you know i remember telling my roommate uh that at the time back in virginia i was like yeah so i applied to this nfl network job you know i'm sure i'm not gonna hear back or anything she's like so when are you moving and i was like no i mean i'm not gonna be she's like no you're gonna get the job when are you moving and uh here we are (laughs) i don't know i don't know how we 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 got here but here we are and then when you look back it makes complete sense but whatever oh totally everything is much everything is much easier in in hindsight and everything oh absolutely uh, absolutely so, Jason, during your time at ESPN, you obviously did a lot of different roles. What would you say you kind of felt most comfortable in or you were best at performing? Probably uh, talent booking. I was very comfortable networking. I was very comfortable building relationships. And it it's funny because I've asked people – they've asked me, like, what is your best skill? And I always say producer because it's more of a general answer because I believe I can do that. But really, when you get like down to it, it's networking and relationships. And people were like, well, isn't everybody like good at that? And I said, not really. Nope. <laughs> not everybody's meant to do that. And it's just something that I don't know. I mean, I, I'm probably the most comfortable talking to strangers. Um, you know, there's a little bit of telemarketing that's involved with calling up a guest blindly and asking them to come on a show. Uh, but you have the ESPN letters to it. And I realized... The four letters are going to get me in the door to have somebody answer my call. But then it's on me to build a relationship, to make them comfortable, to talk to them, to sell them in some ways, not just on myself, but on the on the show that I'm calling up on. Um, and then in-person networking is like 100 times more important when you can go to an event like the Super Bowl or an event like the Men's Final Four or Major League Baseball All-Star Game or anything like that that I've been to. And you network with these people in person. Uh, it, it just it does so much for your career and so much for your job. And, and lastly, I think when you talk to these people like they're humans and you don't go into full worship mode, that's a big deal too. And you know, I se- I spent a day with e- with Daryl Strawberry at ESPN eight years ago, my sports hero as a kid, and I wanted to go all fanboy on him. I did, but I didn't. I stuck to the professional world of of just doing my job. And then eventually we actually started talking. I don't think we talked about sports the entire day. We talked about family. We talked about faith. We talked about fatherhood. We talked about so many things. None of it had to do with baseball. And we made a connection. And that relationship continues today. Hopefully, you know, when I see him, I, I think he'll remember me because we spent eight hours together talking. I mean, he's going to remember me, I would think, anyways, when you spend eight hours with somebody. But because we talked about things that he's just not talking about with everybody else. And so there's a connection there. So I always feel comfortable being around athletes, being around coaches, being around anybody, and sort of networking and relationship building with them. And I think that's an important job. Not not everybody can do. No, it, it's difficult too. I mean, even for me, doing uh, like doing the show on NFL Network uh, on Fantasy and Friends, like being on the air with Maurice Jones Drew. I'm like, bro, I used to like play with you as <laughs> in Madden. Like, yeah. my buddy, my buddies, and I used to like you know argue about who was going to draft him first in fantasy and all that. And like now we're we're on the show together, and you know you've got a it's a different relationship, and you can't you can't go totally fanboy and all that. And that's something that you get you get used to, I guess. But so as like booking talent, did you ever kind of have? I mean, different people are easier to work with than others. Do you sure. have any like kind of like a, I don't know, a crazy story about it? And you don't have to name any names, but somebody that was like more difficult to deal with than others? Um, for the most part, people who, have, especially people coming to ESPN, because that's where everybody sees it. We call it the car wash. And it's when it has nothing to do with water or car or car wash at all. It's when a guest comes to ESPN and they go through show to show, and they go through sort of a schedule of all the different shows that they're on. I'm sure they have a name for it at NFL Network too, but we bring them to the studio, and we put them through the car wash, and as we're doing that, you know, that's where you can really truly relationship build with someone, and 
we've had a couple people who have come to have come there. One very prominent, let's just say prominent musician is how I'll say it, who came to ESPN and he left early. He just didn't want to be there anymore. And wow. he was being paid a lot of money to be there. And he was just done. He was just done. And it blew my mind that he would just leave. Like, how are you just leaving ESPN? You have a job to do. You were hired to be there till five. You were getting paid from the sponsor that brought you there. Uh, you were promoting it. We had shows planning day, planning their segments around you being there. And when you suddenly just leave, our show's got to uh, adjust. Like, we're not just kind of, you know, flying by the seat of our pants here, although we had to when he left. So there's moments like that, but there's so few and far between. I guess that's why they stick out, right? But for the most part, people come and they want to be there. You know, they want to promote their shows. Either they're being paid or they want the promotion. You know, they're selling something uh, or they're at ESPN, which for a lot of people is enough because they get to be at the place that they've always watched since they were a little kid or or a little girl or a little boy. So uh, there's not a ton of horror stories. Um, There's a ton of stories where I've booked guests and – Unfortunately, I've broken news to them that they didn't know about, especially a death. I remember when Junior Seau passed away, uh, when he died, you know, I had to call a couple of his former teammates and I was the one that broke the news to him. And that's just a tough situation to be in as a booker, but I got a job to do. My job is to try and put people on ESPN to remember Junior Seau and got to be sensitive in how you approach that, but that's kind of just part of the, what the job is. I remember way back when, when Johnny Unitas died 15 years ago, whatever it was, 2002, I think is when he passed. And I had to call a couple of his former teammates. And this is guys that are in their 60s at the time. And I had to break the news to them. And this is an all-time legend, Johnny Unitas, you know. And even way back when, when I had to call and break news, it's, it's always difficult. And that hasn't happened a ton either, but it's happened enough where you kind of you know, you remember those moments. Yeah. Well, it's it's good to hear, and I think that's an important part of it, is that these these are few and far in between incidents. And I think yeah, you know, that, that, that's a good thing for people on, on the outside to hear or somebody that kind of wants to get into it that's like, how do I manage the town or whatever? Like, yeah, most, I mean, you're, most, listen, you're always going to run into bad days. You're always going to have some talent that come in and it's just not their day. They're just not in a good mood. And anything you do isn't good enough. That happens. Happens. We're all human. Um, but for the most part, it's, they're mostly good days, you know, uh, but you have to be prepared for those bad days. And I think the how you react and how you respond when turmoil comes your way can really set you apart for growing in the industry that you're in and trying to make a point or an impression on a boss. How do you respond when things don't go your way? And hope it doesn't happen enough, but when it happens, you got to be able to respond to it. Adversity is part of life it's part of your job it's going to happen that's very true and that, that is very very true within yeah. this business for sure um so jason let's get to it kind of to the meat of the discussion here that that we, why we have you on yeah uh, you did recently i was following along with the story saw it on twitter um kind of and your facebook posts as well you recently made the decision to end your career with espn which a lot of people think you know you got a job at ESPN or, you know, some big network, like you're set, this is the dream, but you're making a new move. Can you kind of, uh, can you kind of tell us like what, what was the impetus behind, uh, ending sort of the dream? Yeah. It's a weird thing to say because, um, even on my Twitter page, it says living the dream in Bristol, Connecticut, which is true. I mean, I was going to say, it says that on your Skype, the name it says here it, when I, I, I called you. right there. I might, yeah. I might have to change that. Although I'm still living in Bristol, Connecticut. So I guess it is the dream. It's just a different one. Um, yeah, leaving ESPN was not easy, uh, and this was something that probably entered into my my heart about two years ago. Uh, my faith is very important to me as a Christian man, and it's something that I take very seriously, and it's something that is really what defines me as a person. Uh, it's easy when you work at a, a big company like ESPN to allow your job to become sort of your identity or to become who you are as a person. Because you're there all the time and you put so much of your life into it. But a couple of years ago, I realized ESPN is, is not my identity. It's, uh, it's my faith, my faith in God. And so a moment happened where I was invited to speak to a group of social media 
strategists at a conference in Nashville. This was summertime of 2015. And the people that were there were all summer were all social media strategists for um, churches, nonprofits, small businesses, but mostly in the faith sphere. So when I got the call, they told me you're the only person speaking at this conference that works for a, for lack of a better word, a secular company. And I said, okay, what do I want? What do you want me to share about? And they said, well, share about your faith, share about your, your sort of testimony. And, you know, certainly share some stories of ESPN if you have time. I said, okay. So I did, and it went over well. And um, when I was done, the response was great because I spoke to about 40 or 50 people. It wasn't a large group of people. But it really opened my eyes. That was the moment when I said, oh my gosh, there are people doing the same job I'm doing, but in essence, they're doing it for a greater cause, a greater purpose. And it just kind of started entering into my heart, like maybe this is where you might end up someday. And I didn't have a plan in place. I didn't have sort of an exit strategy to leaving ESPN at that time. But the seed was planted. And so then... After that, it really just became a priority of mine to network and talk to as many people from that world as I could, from that sort of faith world of broadcasting, of social media, of digital media, and just find out more about what that world was like and who was doing it. And just like I tell the same advice to the young people, just networking, relationship building. And I did that for a good year and a half. And in the process of doing that, an opportunity came up probably about a year ago with this faith-based sports ministry called Pro Athletes Outreach. And when I heard about what they stood for, obviously what they were about from the faith perspective, but how their ministry is built to support and help professional athletes, it just made sense. It was like, oh my gosh, that's like my wheelhouse of athletes and sports and faith. And so I had a really long conversation and discussed ideas of potentially exiting ESPN a year ago. It wasn't the right time. Uh, There wasn't a a real offer on the table, so that's number one. But it wasn't the right time in my heart. I talked to my wife about it. She definitely wasn't feeling that sort of peace that we were hoping to have if we're going to make this move. And so it wasn't time. Fast forward to December of this year. Mid-December, another opportunity came about from the same company. They called me up. And during this time, a lot of different things happened in my life. Again, we could spend two hours just talking about all the things that happened this past summer. But a lot of opportunities started coming to write a book, to um, network, to be guests on podcasts, to speak, really enjoy speaking, things like that. And then this opportunity in December came to go work for this sports and faith ministry. And they made me an an actual offer. And one of the things they made me an offer to do was to host a faith and sports podcast. And that's something I always really wanted to do. Tell the story of the athlete, tell the story of the journalist, tell the story of the coach with the intersection of faith and sports combined. And when that opportunity came, I just knew it was sort of the right time and the right moment for me in my career. Talk to my wife about it. We looked at all our finances. We looked at the situation because I took a pay cut to leave ESPN. I mean, that's just the truth, but I'm not doing this for money. If the money comes, great. You know, God calls us to be good stewards of what our, what our finance, with our finances. And if it comes, great, but I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this for um, a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. And so I accepted and it was hard because leaving ESPN is 17 years of comfort, 17 years of memories, 17 years of relationships and friends, of experiences that I will never, I would never have had in my life if it wasn't for working for ESPN. So it was a difficult transition, a difficult move, but I knew it was the right move. And I had 100% peace in my heart when we finally made that decision. There was no regrets. There was no looking back. And I was really surprised at so many people that were uh, complimentary and nice and saying, saying some amazing things about my move, there was very few people that said, are you an idiot? What are you doing? You're leaving ESPN. It was very few people. And that was interesting to me to hear. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was the time. It was the right time.
Yeah, that's fantastic. It's kind of like we were saying earlier, all those little things come together and then you, so true. you, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think anybody that has something very important in, in your life, and I mean, faith is obviously a, another level above that, but whether it's whatever, whatever you're interested in, you feel that calling for it. Like once you get that itch, you know, at some point, like you, you said earlier that you have the, uh, you, you had the, you had the, the desire for it, but it just wasn't the right moment. But you kind of know from that moment, like it's coming for you, you know, eventually it's, it's gonna, it's gonna get there. And I did. I mean, that was definitely something when they, when that seed got first planted in 2000, really it was 2014 when I got my first opportunity to sort of speak to a group of men and I started kind of getting an itch to, I really wanted to scratch with, with this speaking thing, but it wasn't until I spoke and saw that people were doing the same job that I was doing, but in a faith world that it really sort of started to kind of enter into my heart. And that was when I was like, Oh, this is something that maybe I could do someday. And then it was just a course of two years really worth of relationship building and opportunities. And like you said, things aligning properly for that moment to happen. That's pretty cool. And I guess I didn't think about this until until you just t- you're telling the story now. You're kind of coming from that behind the scenes role to now kind of being the you know you're speaking you're out there you're going to do a podcast which I want to ask you about in a little bit. Is that is that like an, an interesting transition kind of coming out to the front of the stage after being behind it? Completely. It's 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 a little out of my comfort zone. It's funny because it's really what I went to school for when I was in college. I didn't go to be a producer. I went to be a host. And when I got into local radio, the very first year that I got out of college in 1997, I remember working with professionals who've been there in the business 20, 30 years. And I listened to them and I watched them and like, whoa, I am not ready for this world. Like, I'm just, I'm not good enough to host. I'm not good enough to be on air. And, you know, I have a very monotone voice, which I have to fight. It's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older. But when I was younger, I just wasn't ready. And But what it did allow me to do as a producer was to work even in local radio for the first three years with legends in the business. So I worked with a local legend named Don Weeks back years ago. He's since passed on. At ESPN, I've worked with Mike and Mike. I've worked with Bob Lee. I've worked with Jeremy Schapp. And I've worked with Chris Berman. Like, doesn't get any bigger than those guys. And I've worked with a lot of the sports center anchors, you know, the late Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen and people like that. Uh, John Bucci-Gross, you know, amazing people. Linda Cohen, people who've been in the business for years. Susie Colbert, Trey Wingo. But when you work with the best of the best, and I'm realizing this now, you, you learn a lot about interviewing. So I may have been a producer, but I was watching the best of the best do what they do and, and hone their craft. And so I think I can learn a lot from that. As for being sort of out in front, that took a that took a little while to get used to and to sort of be comfortable with, you know, being invited to speak at a athletic awards banquet or at a men's breakfast or at a conference. I, I always ask, are you sure you want me to come? Like, why me? They're like, no, you don't understand. You've done this and you've done that. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just this producer who loves sports. So I still kind of, have a problem with putting myself out there as on a pedestal. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. And who doesn't enjoy being complimented, you know, about the work that they do. I think we all do, but I have to get used to being comfortable now in front of the camera, in front of the microphone. And I'm getting there. You know, I like being interviewed and I like talking like you, but I have to learn how to do the other side of it. I have to learn how to do what you're doing and be better at that, at interviewing, at asking the right questions, at listening, which is a huge skill and interviewing. And I just have to learn and be better at that. And hopefully we'll get there. And if not, I'll know pretty quickly that it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a work. We're all a work in progress. Of course. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still a work in progress as a host. Cause yeah, I, I, I'm used, I'm used to being uh, the one on the, on, on the other end, people asking me questions and then you get put on the other, you get put on this. It's like, Oh yeah, I got to ask people questions and like yes. topics and you know, yeah, yeah. It formed like at least an outline in my head, but no, that's, <laughs> that's so uh, that's cool too because sometimes I think people every I feel like everybody starts out wanting to be the host, wanting to be the talent, wanting to be on air, and then but sometimes you find that that your role is is com- more comfortable elsewhere, and I think that's important. But just so Jason, we 
obviously we know why you left ESPN. We, we want to know a little bit of what's coming next. And you mentioned yeah. the, the podcast and the book, and I want to ask about the podcast first. So what's, uh, what's the goal? What is it going to be about? What's, what's kind of your mission statement? I guess? Yeah, so it's an intersection of sports and faith. It's called the Sports Spectrum Podcast. It's powered by SportsSpectrum.com, which is a uh, sports and faith media brand that falls now under the lexicon of Pro Athletes Outreach. So PAO purchased Sports Spectrum, and they're sort of re-jumping the Sports Spectrum um, brand, for lack of a better word. They have a magazine, Sports Spectrum Magazine. They have their website, SportsSpectrum.com, which I will be a part of both. Uh, and then now they're they're starting a podcast, which they asked me to be a host of. So that's where the the brand comes from, Sports Spectrum. So it's not my name. It's it's a name that's already been established for a good 30 years. And the goal in the podcast is simply to tell stories. Tell the story of the athlete. Tell the story of the um, television anchor. Tell the story of the coach, of the analyst, of the retired player, of the high school kid of the whatever, whatever level, of the D3 college lacrosse player. If they have a story that intersects sports and faith, I want to tell it. And obviously, we want to have as many big names as we can, and we'll talk about that you know, going forward about sort of which guests that I would like to have on um, you know, as we start continuing to plan this podcast. But I really don't want it to just be, be great, but I just don't want it to be like the Steph Currys and the Kurt Warners of the world, which are great to talk about sports and faith, but I want, I, I want to just tell the story of that high school kid that persevered through overcoming an illness or the death of a loved one and how faith helped them walk through that and how they were able to achieve success in the sports field. Like to me, that's just as an important story as hearing this all time great athlete talk about their faith, which is also a great story. And so it's a platform that I think, can cover a, a large landscape of sports and faith. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here to talk to so many different unique people with amazing stories and some that maybe you don't get told if you don't have this type of platform. So that's what I'm most excited about is just telling the stories of these people and, and uh, their walk. So. No, that sounds really fascinating. I mean, that's kind of a lot of what this podcast is, you know, it's a storytelling thing. And I yeah. think that's what, that's what people are so I, I love that stuff. I mean, I eat it up, you know, listening to people. I'm, I will listen to your podcast, and uh, that's for sure. Uh, awesome. Listening to just people talk about their stories, you know, regardless of the whether you're into faith or you're not, you know. I mean, I think just, again, I, hearing people talk about that is, is fascinating. Yeah, Matt, I think this will be a podcast where even if you're not a Christian or a Christian faith or anything like that, I think the story is going to be compelling enough, hopefully, to where you'll listen and where you'll be intrigued by it because – you know, everybody's situation is different. Everybody's situation is very personal to them. It's their story. It's nobody else's story. But I think we can all relate or understand or walk with a person in their world, no matter what our beliefs are. And so hopefully this podcast comes down to, listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The ultimate goal is to share the gospel of Jesus with as many people as possible. As a Christian, that's my hope here. But I believe you can tell stories and really impact people's lives and not just try to convert them, but just trying to tell stories of people and what they've walked through and, and been through. And if you tell it in the right way, I think it, it appeals to everyone. I really do. Well, it's the same sort of thing with you interact with people in, in the sports business, not to get a job, but just to interact with them, just to just exactly. to be and just to be there with them. And I think that's a uh, that's an important thing to matter. It, whether it's a, a faith thing or you're sharing any sort of story with a person, it's it's all about don't have an agenda, you know. Again, Absolutely. just go into it with and just try to build a, a relationship. And I think I think that's really cool. So, is the podcast out yet, or when when should we expect it? I'm not sure when this podcast is going to be airing that we're taping right now, but it's going to release. My podcast is scheduled to release towards the end of March. Target date. Don't hold this. This is not in ink. It's still in pencil, but around March 31st, I think that's going to be a Friday, is what we're targeting. Um, we don't have, we have a couple of podcasts that we've done sort of rough drafts before the final essay, but they may be, they're great stories and we may end up bringing those as part of the, the interviews that we produce on the podcast. But right now, uh, we don't have our first guest yet lined up or anything like that. We're taping this in mid to late February, but 
the hope is by the end of March, we're in a good place. We got a couple podcasts, interviews, you know, done, locked in the can and ready to release. And we're going to try and release one a week uh, on the onset and just see where it goes. See what, see what God wants to do with it. See what the people's reaction is. And hopefully it's a good one. And uh, hopefully with the platforms that I've been given and, and all the people that I've connected with, we can reach a large audience and let them hear some amazing stories. Well, that's really cool. Like I said, I look forward to uh, listening to myself. And I, I'm sure some people listening to this podcast will definitely, if the, you like storytelling, which you yep. you either like storytelling or you like me, and I'm pretty I'm pretty heinous. So it must be you're here for storytelling. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think you'll, I think they'll probably tune into your show as well. Uh, you also mentioned that you're going to be writing a book. Uh, can you kind of to wind down here a little bit? Can you uh, yeah. can you kind of detail what's what's going to be in the book? What is it about? Well, when, and when is it? When is that coming out? You're busy, man, Jason. Busy, bro. Busy. Well, the last <laughs> the last thing I ever thought I would end up doing is writing a book. The last thing, like if you just said, "What did you go to college for?" Oh, guess what? In 20 years, you're going to write a book. I'd have laughed at you. Like I do not. I'm not comfortable writing. Writing is not my sweet spot. Writing for websites, writing for, I write a blog, I write a lot of different, I do not like writing. I'm not comfortable doing it. I like talking, I like sharing, I like networking, I like relationship building, all the things that we've talked about. I do not enjoy writing. So it sort of steps me, you know, makes me step out of my comfort zone to, to do this. And an opportunity came this past summer, 2016, and I was... I've been very involved in my church, just to give you a long story short on how the book came about. And I've shared in my church and to different groups of people, men, uh, teenagers, and to the whole congregation about the story of my dad. And my dad is an alcoholic. He struggled with alcohol for 30 years. He struggled with depression. And in that struggle has unfortunately festered a broken relationship with his three sons. I have two brothers and myself. And that relationship started breaking apart when we were young in our early teens, you know, even before that. And it really was not repaired. It's still in repair mode, but it really did not come back to a sort of reconciliation moment until about three years ago. And it was the moment when my dad um, tried to commit suicide, was unsuccessful, thankfully. Um, But from that moment, got sober and turned his life around. And so I've shared this story at churches and people are so impacted by it and so moved by it. And so I, I wrote a blog about it. A guy read it. He was a pastor. Long story short, he connected me with a literary agent who, you know, read my story, heard my story and said, this is a book. It's the first person who have ever said, like, you should write a book on this story. And I really didn't feel comfortable with it. Not that I, it's not that I didn't feel comfortable sharing my story. I've already done that. I just didn't feel comfortable writing a book. I don't, I'm not a good writer in my eyes. Some people think I'm a good writer. I don't think I am. So writing a book was a daunting task. Well, a month and a half later, I'm talking to a friend of mine, and he is a writer. And he's like, listen, I want to help you with this. I know you don't feel like you're a good writer. Let me help you. Let me help you write it. Let me help you walk through this process with you. I've written five or six books. So I said yes, and then through that writer, a publishing company came and made me an offer at the end of August, and we signed, agreed, and signed a book deal, which is, I still shake my head when I say that, because I just don't think I'm a book guy ever. Um, But I'm writing a book, and we're in the process of writing it right now. Um, I'm talking to the author in a couple days, and we're going to kind of keep going forward here with this, uh, my author friend, and hope to be released November or December of 2017. And honestly, it goes back to the storytelling, Matt. I just want, if my story, and I've talked to my dad about this, and he's all in on this too. If our story can encourage, can help someone who is broken right now and going through a difficult relationship of their own, who struggles with unforgiveness, who struggles with faith, who struggles with relationships, then it's worth writing and it's worth telling. And if it helps one person one person reads this book and says, my life is better now because of your book and your story, my relationship with my father or my relationship with my son or my daughter, then it's worth writing. And that's kind of where my mindset's been. It's like, all right, write this book for that one person. And if a thousand people or a million people or however many people want to be impacted by it, great. But if one person is impacted by this story, then it's worth writing. And that's where we are. So we're writing the story and 
we'll see what, where it ends up going. I hope, I hope it impacts as many people as possible. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. for, for a number of different reasons. For one, if, if you're, if you're new to the show, uh, thanks for being here, but if you're, uh, <laughs> if you listen to season one, you know, that topics like depression and, and all that sort of, uh, that, that, ah. that arena is, is very, very crucial to me. So I'm, I'm, it's cool to hear, uh, hear your story. It's a, it's a powerful one. And also I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to begin writing a book as well too about my own my own story and and path awesome. and I think it's uh it's good to hear that it's good to hear that like you know it's it's a it's a difficult process uh it's a difficult process to just write to write anything personal and and to put incredibly yourself out there yeah yeah incredibly difficult and intimidating and a lot of times it you kind of I struggle with doubt or I struggle with sort of inferiority like I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified to do this, listen, all you have to do is say yes, and then you're qualified. And then it's up to you if you want to put in the work and learn and all this. But, you know, I'm no different than you are, Matt, or anybody else who has a story. So I got fortunate that a book a book company wanted to sign my and tell my story. So here we go. I mean, but there's no different. And there's so many avenues to tell your story today between not just books and you can self-publish. Anybody can write a book right now if they really wanted to in today's age. But with podcasts and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, people you've seen, you know, people's stories go viral pretty quickly on social media. Like there's just so many different avenues and platforms to share your story. Um, and I'm just thankful that I've gotten the few that I have. Yeah, it's very it's very true. Uh it's it's cool to see like people people are able to do that now with, I mean, again, like you said, power of social media, like I, I shared a weight loss story on my blog and then it went, went through or made the rounds on the internet and then CNN picked it up and wrote a story about it. And, and that's, that's exactly what can happen. So if anybody's listening, they have a story to tell people are ready to listen, you know, yeah. Jason, people and, like Jason is ready to listen. I'm ready to, to hear it as well. And, and many of the people that listen to this podcast would as, as well. So true, Matt, listen, if anybody has a story that they want to share with you or me on our social media pages or whatever, you know, our websites, reach out like we're listening we're paying attention it's a different world now and there's opportunity everywhere so definitely reach out people are so very interested in each other that's for sure so jason i really want to thank you for your time today this is it's been an incredible um incredible conversation i've learned a lot uh, getting to know getting to know you and, and and the listeners i'm sure as well feel the same way but i always give the guest kind of one last shot at the floor before I yank it out from under them. So, uh, you've got the floor here to, to kind of any parting words to, to the listeners or, or compliments to give me. Those are also welcome. I think, well, you're awesome. How's that? Is that, is that good to start? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's a requirement that get the guests do have to give me one compliment, uh, per episode. That's right. He, he planted that with me way before we started taping this. No, uh, Matt, you have been great. It's been awesome to be on your show. And honestly, it's just, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to share my story, and um, I'm just excited to see where where it ends up. Uh, you know, between a book and speaking and and working on a website and hosting a podcast, like I got a lot going on. My my life isn't boring after ESPN. It certainly might even be in some ways more busy. Um, but I think the the time was right to try this next world of uh, of to take this next step into this next world. And you know, I'm in my early 40s now, and you know, it really was about regret. And I, that's the, probably the last thing I could say to everybody is if you have something stern in your heart, don't wait on it or think you're inferior or think you're not good enough or think you're not qualified enough. Just say yes and take the leap and try it. Um, I believe when we do that, good things happen. I love it. Just just say yes and you're qualified and just say yes and it's ready to go. That's, you know, I always tell people that, uh, how do I get started in, in right. writing about football? Well, you just start writing and you, start you, just, writing. you just do it. Yeah. It's, Listen, uh, it's incredible. You got to have, you got to have uh, a spirit about yourself. You got to work hard. You got to put good work out. And that's important because it needs to be good. People don't want to read bad work. People don't want to watch bad TV. Uh, those things kind of come to the forefront pretty quickly if it's not good. But keep working at it. Don't give up and just and, and talk to as many people as you can and get as much feedback as you can. So definitely. That's awesome. Well, again, Jason, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. This has been great. And I, I look forward to following your journey. And I'm sure many people out there uh, that are listening do as well. And, and for the listeners, thank you so much for coming back uh, for season two. Or if you're just joining us, welcome aboard. Uh, we're we're going to be running through a lot of different people here and in sports media, but also in other sectors too. I'm looking forward to kind of branching out a little bit this season, but 
You know the drill. If you're listening, you know, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, share the show with your friends, your enemies, your parents, whatever. It doesn't matter. Tell people to listen in and we're going to do a lot of good storytelling here. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you learned something today.